Hey, hey, hello. Leavers, believers, and everybody else in complete shock from what's taken place this week, particularly on the 9th of March 2023 in Australia, shall we say. But all of that aside, welcome to Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya, and I'm really, really thrilled that you are here with us today uh, for a very interesting part of many conversations to come. Uh, I'll stop being mysterious. I am having a conversation today with Glenn Moses, who has started a YouTube channel called The Mega Church Must Die. And, you know, it's, it's interesting in a number of ways because this interview took place uh, last Sunday and a lot of things changed during the week. Uh, on the uh, Hillsong landscape, shall we say. So the Megachurch Must Die channel on YouTube has seen a great increase in views, shall we say. Uh, I had a really, really lovely chat with Glenn and just got to know a little bit more about him, his family, his experiences with Hillsong and how he, how he found the experience of, you know, standing up to things that he didn't like, uh, his family didn't like, and how that was received. So it's a really lovely, warm conversation. It is broken into two, so I think you'll really like it. He's a, he's a one-of-a-kind, and we, you know, we have some chats about men and how they experience the church environment and how it can leave them feeling afterwards. Ooh, feeling. All right. Let's start off with uh, part one of The One. In a segment I'm going to call Leaving Egypt because I hope there'll be a lot more chats to come. There we go. So, Glenn, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. This is so exciting. You are the uh, king of Leaving Hillsong as you are the betrothed of the queen of Leaving Hillsong, Mrs. Natalie Moses, and you are our royals because of the courage and bravery and incredible uh, convictions that you've shown by going forward with a uh, a number of legal matters that we're not going to discuss, no, actually, no. right now, no, because now is not... Now, now it's not the time you guys are in the middle of a bunch of court processes, but... You've been really keen to get some opinions out just about the other stuff, some of the things that you've seen go on in in churches, in, in your life, in your, I hate the word journey, in your experiences, <laughs> like while you were, you, I mean, you guys were at Hillsong for a number of years as attendees as well. Uh, yep. It's not just an employment situation. Um, and you uh, burst out with a YouTube channel this week, last week. Called the mega church must die. Ooh, How'd that that's start? Sorry, I just oh, yelled look. at you. The mega no, church no, must die. And it must. Um, it must die. I, no, I mean, that's question. that's a very very extreme kind of position. Tell me all about it. Okay, so first of all, before people start throwing things at the screen or, or whatever they're doing, uh, nobody has to die. I don't want anyone to die. Uh, I want the mega church 
system model of the business model to die to itself to die to sin and be reborn so it's not so much die as it's meant to be you know be born again i mean you know most people would say they were christian already in the churches let's hope and they'd say they're already born again but i think they've gone back into the womb uh, some of them need to come out and be born again and and uh, focus back on the simplicity of the message of Jesus. Sorry, what do you define a mega church as? Oh, I mean, these days, almost any church, because if they're yeah. not already a mega church, they're planning to be because they've seen the business model. They know where the money is for the good of the church, not you know, let's be nice and say they're not all just for the money, but they've seen the business model that works, that's created all this wealth and opportunity. And so to me, even if they're not yet, they're wanting to be, wishing they were, praying for it. Um, yeah. Protestants? Are we talking the, the props here, not the Catholics, I guess? Or Oh, no, well, not the Catholics. They're already rich, so they don't need to worry. <laughs> um, what, what, what's this business model? I don't know what you're talking about, business model. Oh, I know. You know, it hinges around the giving and, uh, and the giving and the giving. Please give me some more, which I don't have a problem with, but for me it's the distribution of the wealth that I have the problem with. And so the Catholics could listen to this as well. You know, I don't remember anywhere in the Bible where it asked us to amass wealth in cash and property and assets so that we could make our empire bigger, so that we could amass more cash. And, you know, I only read about people sacrificing and doing good for others. Um, I mean, that's a, a widespread criticism of these models that say of of sorry of these mega churches and, and outsiders seem to think it's all about the money but then people on the inside i mean you attended maybe give us a, a bit of a life before hillsong even background that kind yep, of yep okay so around. i'm 58 and uh i always say i was born in the church my family were christian uh, i think they actually took me to church the first week i was born and i've pretty much been in the church ever since lots of different denominations i don't really care about the club thing i don't i never got that in my teens when people started to say well what church do you go to i would just say gods because uh, i figured that's what it was supposed to be but anyway so we moved around to different ones over the years depending on where we lived um lots of church of christ but that's just because that was what i was brought up in definitely no pentecostalism in those um, no, 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 no. Queen. yeah, yeah. I met her at church at uh, what was uh, Caring Bar Church of Christ back in the day. Okay, got married there, you know, started a family there. We we moved to Queensland for a little bit, lived on Lake Macquarie for a little bit, and then back to Sydney because let's face it, Sydney is the best, yeah. anyway. So, we've, we've been to a lot of different churches in that time. We've been to churches where there was 50 people and the pastor trying to play the guitar and sing when he couldn't, and you know. Or everything in between. And I am a music lover. I, I have no musical talent. I cannot sing. I can't play an instrument, but I love music. So that's what drew us to Hillsong. Um, all of our family holidays were uh, the family in the car driving up the coast with the Hillsong CDs playing. The kids knew all the words. Um, we'd been to conference maybe four or five times before we ever moved to uh, go to Hillsong. And then when my eldest daughter turned 18, she said, I uh, don't want to go to uni. I want to go to Hillsong College. 
So we were living in the Sutherland Shire at the time, near the beach, and uh, we drove over one night, August 2016, and um, sat in a night service, loved it, and started coming every week, driving backwards and forwards from the Shire to there until the January of 2017 when we moved over to the Hills area so Sarah could go to college. Yeah, I had been the stay-at-home dad, as they say, for many years because Nat worked in international aid. So she was traveling around the world, running programs everywhere overseas, and I looked after the kids. But at the same time, I refused to have friends that were women. So I didn't go to the play dates with the kids. And so the kids didn't have like a, a ton of friends. They had some friends, but... That's cool. You have other children. One other daughter. So uh, she still lives at home with us. I always think as a parent, by the time they get to that age, you've either already done a good job putting the values and stuff into them or you haven't. So, And you got I me, mean, you guys just recently celebrated 30 years. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, congrats. 30 years married. That's fantastic. 35 um, years okay. together, 30 years married. Wow. Um, you look so young. Okay. So, there was a big uproar in the church at the time. Uh, they apparently said it would never last. So ah. anyone listening, here I am, 30 years in, 35 years to the relationship. So, uh, yeah, going strong. Wow. So, I mean, because part of the reason I'm talking to you about this is you and I have discussed this really strong family unit that you have Yeah, is such a protective factor, I think, in, in being able to see through when you know what love looks like then you know what it doesn't look like is my theory. And you can go, no, no, you're, you don't love me. You, yeah, because I know, I know what good looks like. And it's a lot of people who perhaps don't or have had quite significant traumas uh, in their lives maybe don't know that, what it's like to have, you know, support and, you know, real, genuine, lifelong love and support. So... I I always say to people, like, you know the saying, love is blind? Uh, I don't agree with that at all. I say love can see every little fault that you have and loves you anyway. So if anyone is thinking that their partner is perfect, then there's something wrong, you know? Uh-huh. None of us are, and we've all got faults. But if you can see those faults and still love that person and want to be with them forever anyway then that's how you know you love them. So, yeah, I, I think yeah. obviously I'm talking about when Nat looks at my faults, not when, you know, <laughs> she doesn't have any except that she married yeah, well, me. <laughs> um, it seems to be your overall kind of life view, you guys, because I remember early on we talked about when you first started going to Hillsong and you noticed people weren't kind of sitting on their own and stuff and you did something about that yeah well yeah okay i'd love to talk about that yeah three long years before i got connected there and during that time nat stopped coming because of the lack of connection and it wasn't like we were just sitting in a seat wishing people would come to us we volunteered in teams we had sunday friends you know you turn up in the foyer and there's someone you saw last week and they smile and wave and say good day and if you're real lucky, they might even say, we should catch up for coffee. 
but they never do. Nat in particular, she sort of stopped going at this point where one of the seating community people sat down with her and talked to her for about five minutes before church started and got her to fill out a form with a name and address and contact number and everything. And this woman said to Nat, you know what, I'm going to call you this week and we'll go out for a coffee. And then Nat never heard from her again. So that was sort of the point where Nat went, Look, you know, why am I coming here for connection and family uh, when they're almost like dangling in front of my face like that and then taking it away. So she stopped coming for a little while. I kept going. I remember one night I, I, I had read a Facebook post from Joel Abel. Uh, during the week, he'd put up something about how you can be sitting in a room full of people and feel lonely. And I went, oh, my God, he's talking about me. So after the service that night, I managed to beat the security and get down to the front. And um, I sp spoke to Joel. I said, I loved what you wrote. That's me. I'm sitting here every week. And some weeks I'd walked out because I felt so alone. And um, I told him the story of I'd put my name in to get a connect group. No one had ever contacted me. So then I'd just ask random people, can I come to your group? And, you know, that hadn't worked out. And he was, he said all the right things. He said, that's, that's terrible. He said, you know what? Come with me. So he took me and introduced me to Sam DeMauro. I'm thinking, oh, this is good. And so he gets me to tell the, the entire sad story to Sam again. I'm like, oh, okay. So Joel goes off, leaves me with Sam. I tell Sam about how, you know, I've been struggling to fit in. No one connects with me. And Sam goes, oh, that's horrible. Come with me. So he took me to Nick Ruff, who I think was the 9 a.m. pastor at the time. And he says, Nick, this is Glenn. Glenn, tell him the story. So I tell him the whole story. I'm thinking, well, this is getting a bit deja vu-y. Anyway, Sam goes, Nick listens to me whinge about nobody wanted to talk to me. Nick goes, oh, that's terrible. And he gestures to some guy whose name I don't know, but this guy was the guy in charge of connect groups for the 9am service. And he said, this guy's going to get your number right now and we're going to get you in a group. And uh, that's, that's about four or five years ago now. And I've no. never heard from anyone since. So, um, wow. yeah. I mean, I'm looking at you now. You've only got like one head and stuff. You look <laughs> all normal to me. Like, how is this yeah. possible? I mean, because wow. of no accountability, really. I mean, that's the wider problem, I think, with all the different issues in the church, not just the connecting with people. There are processes in place, but there's no one accountable to make sure the processes are being done. So in the end, I started my own connect group because I thought, you know okay. what, I'm going to I'm going to fit in at my house. So um, I started a group. You put your details in the My Hillsong system, and then uh, during that week, emails came to me from the church of people's details. Uh, I rang them up. I said, I'm started a group. You want to come? And they said yes. A couple of weeks later, we met for the first time. So when these people came into my house, they were overly thankful, like weird like oh glenn thank you so much for contacting us you know you're the best and i'm thinking well i know but why you say that they all had never been contacted before i was the first person to have ever called them in response to their request to join a connect group and some of them had been waiting for nearly a year so yeah <laughs> that's that's my experience at that place that's where it all started from there so that's sort of and how did the group how did the group go uh pretty good and uh, it it sort of morphed into eventually just a men's group uh, it was mixed to start with but then um uh i realized that 
what's lacking, especially in a church that highlights the needs of women, is that nobody cares about the needs of the men. Please tell me more because what you've shared is just so open, so honest, so vulnerable, and I'm in shock that it, you know, is coming out of a man's mouth because as we talked about even, you know, again, even earlier, I don't hear from men very often, um, definitely not as much as women, their wives, right? Women will contact. Um, but I, I just, I mean, you tell me, I have this feeling that the men have just been erased and annihilated by the trauma and, and just can't speak to it. I know I'm sounding dramatic, but. No, no, you, you're right. Extreme. I mean, the tell white me what you mean. A male is the most hated person in the world. But, but even, I mean, within the church, yeah. and when they've had a, a negative experience, they're just shut down. Um, mm. What, I mean, tell me, you said, uh, sorry, the church highlight targets women. And what, what do you say? What do men, what is this? I don't know, because they don't talk. So, yeah, I know. And, um, you know, once a year, they used to put on a men's night, and Brian would boast that that's because men don't need to take so long to whatever. I don't know. I think there was a, a bit of a Brian sex joke in there somewhere. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> And I went to those nights and they were sometimes interesting. Uh, the preaching was was normally good, but they always had stuff on out the front of the church for us to look at, like man stuff. Oh, look, here's a car, broom, broom, and motorbikes jumping and all that kind of stuff. But nothing that created community in any way. It was all just stand there, look at that, come inside, listen to us, now go home, and you're right. And I knew that wasn't enough for me. And as I found out, as I started you know when the group transitioned to all men uh the guys were crying out for something anything and and so my men's group got really successful we had a policy where we didn't say no to anyone joining you know uh if someone said they're looking for a group and i couldn't find them another one they were in ours uh and yeah from that i started a men's camping group uh we go away camping two or three times a year uh, always made it Christian based though. Someone would, I'd ask one of the guys to speak on the Saturday night. Uh, we did communion on the Saturday night. Uh, it was just such a great weekend away of fellowship with the guys, which just isn't happening at any church that I know of really to that extent. So yeah, up until we, uh, pretty much got forced out of the church, that's what I was doing. <laughs> oh, so have you, I mean, sorry, those connections are not there now because of the <clears throat> other matters um you have to yeah sort of pause on that yeah pretty much um it's it's is it too dramatic to say this thing has destroyed our lives i mean you know that was my whole thing i i, I went for coffee with people two or three times a week maybe took someone for lunch uh had the men's group organized the camping uh volunteered on the sunday night uh and so now Nat and I pretty much sit on the lounge uh, when I'm not watching him mow the lawns. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, what did you discover? I mean, you're one person. What else did you discover that men need? Because this is a giant gaping, you know, missing thing and you're telling me they're crying out for connection. Mm. Um, I don't know. What do we They're not going to find well, that... it in the megachurch, hey? Well, I, I know I'm, I'm an unrealistic person sometimes. I don't believe in saying you can't 
find that in the mega church but you can't find it in the mega church because people say oh that's too hard because there's so many people here we can't possibly look after all of them but i i'm the kind of person i'm like don't say that i'm going to try my hardest to look after all of them and knowing that i won't get everyone i'm still going to go there every sunday and have that attitude uh, of trying to find every single new person non-christian you know anyone at all that needs anything i would stand in the foyer on a sunday night before the service and you just look for the new people and then normally the ones that walk in with their mouth open going <laughs> look how big this place is and yeah uh just try and get them connected and, and i think that's what it comes down to and the men are just pushed to the side in particular and um found it hard to get connection i i want to tell one more bad connect group story so i got introduced to a guy one night uh the the 6 p.m. pastor brought him to me and he said, uh, you know, this guy's been looking for a connect group. So I, I had a little chat to him and he'd been waiting six years. So for three years, he thought he was on a waiting list. And then when he realized, well, no, I don't think I'm on a waiting list anymore. He stopped coming to church. And so this night he had come back to give God one last chance. And I'm thinking, well, it wasn't God's fault. God's given us the instructions. Here's a book. Follow this. There was my son with the example. Follow him. And and people blame God. And, you know, God didn't screw the world up. We did. And so this poor bloke, he'd come back and he's like, you know, I'm giving God one last chance to get me connected in this place. So, you know, that's the kind of person that is falling through the cracks all the time. Um so, I would suggest so, you, you save lives through this because this is exactly what, you know, leads people to extreme circumstances is reaching out, having your hand slapped back or having it ignored. Well, I would say God saves lives in that situation. I don't want to take the glory for me because what happened, he got introduced to me as we're talking and I'm I'm hearing his horrible story and I'm thinking i got to get this guy a group. I never put anybody's name in the list to get called at a later date. If someone asked me to get him a connect group, I physically find a connect group leader and get them in one. So this guy stand there talking to me. At the same time, a friend of mine walked up and said, hello, who happens to run a men's connect group? And so I, I said to him, oh, Mike, you, you run a group, aren't you? And he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, you got room for someone? He said, yes, I do. And I said, this gentleman whose name I won't say, Mike, there you go, introduce him. There he was in a group. Now, that's not because I was there. I mean, the timing of that was too insane to have been anything to do with me. I was just standing in the foyer. So, you know, God orchestrated that moment. Um, and I was just open to doing what God wanted me to do with that. And I think so many other people would have just told that guy to go over the next person's desk and put his details in like he did six years before. And um, that would have been the last we would have seen of that guy. Why do you think people keep returning for six years or, or three years if there's nothing there? What brings them back? It can't just be music. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, I can say, like, I the first three years I kept coming back, and that would say to me, why are you still going, you know? And because I was crying out for that connection. I mean, in particular for us too, we'd moved from the Sutherland Shire to here in the hills where it's stinking hot and I know nobody and you know life was difficult for me and I wanted something more than that and having been 
the, the stay-at-home dad for so long, but the kids had grown up. So then I was like, I was nothing. Um, so I wanted something from my church. Most basic human kind of requirement. It's, yeah. You know, it's not a, an unusual thing to want. So, yes, I, I don't know why I kept coming back, but I did and eventually made it work. But, you know, I made it work. They didn't make it work. Yeah. Saying it out loud makes me feel stupid for staying that long. <laughs> it is more of a, a, a criticism of this system, and that's what you've more arrived at. Hey, I mean, it's this kind of factory of what uh, an economy of souls, I guess, once described it, you know, it becomes impersonal. Hey, yeah, yeah, no, you're the right. The mega church must die thing. I'm trying to stay safe again. Um, yeah. uh, right, eh? so tell me, tell me what you see. When you see, like, the megachurch must die, how would you like to see things ideally go through your life? (laughs) Yeah, look, I mean, I have simple answers to say, but they're difficult to, you know, to enact, you know. So to me, it would be as simple as everyone that says they're a Christian and believes in God and loves Jesus uh, then every time you went to make a decision of what you were going to do, who you're going to speak to, how you're going to act, if you literally just looked at Jesus' example, then you can't go wrong. Now, that's a simple thing, isn't it? I mean, I can say that so easy. What would Jesus do? Yep, here's what I'll do. And I, I personally don't understand why they're all not doing that. I've never claimed to be this massive spiritual man of God. I've never read the Bible all the way through. You know, I'll own that. That's fine. But when I'm thinking of how to react to a situation, even outside of church, especially outside of church, I'm like, okay, well, my human brain might have thought something not nice to do here, but Jesus would want me to do this, right? And so I'm not pretending that there's a magic wand that takes all those human evil thoughts away. But there's a desire, if you believe in your faith, to ignore your natural thoughts if they're not right. And uh, as it says, Jesus, well, God will give you the desires of your heart. And so I desire to do what Jesus wants me to do. And to me, that is so simple. And yet, for some reason, it just seems to go everyone's head. I don't know. I mean, it's a case of everyone looking after their little corner of the earth, isn't it? If we love your neighbour... If everyone just loved their neighbour, then yeah, yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah, it is that uh, simple, isn't it? Why aren't we doing it? Well, I didn't mean you and me. Obviously, we are. But... No, well, I mean we're fantastic, but no, it's just interesting because yeah. people cross your path during the day, or you know, you, you end up in situations you don't expect. And I'm always preaching this kindness thing because people will remember how you make them feel. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, like you were saying before, I don't know that the, the Great Commission was to build the biggest church or whatever, the biggest building or the, you know. No, no, they've got that round the wrong way, haven't they? We were supposed to go out and make disciples, not build a big lighted up building and make them come to us, yeah. you know. Um, they, they're completely around the wrong way there. And their desire seems to be to make more of themselves more buildings for people to come to and that just seems to be backwards to me um you know i I hear they're gonna talk about going on a mission trip next year and i have a cynical side of me thinks i'm gonna see photos of phil holding a shovel or you know 
with Cinder teaching children and, uh, you know, it's maybe too little, too late and too fake. I have no idea. I mean, is Did that I say cynical? That? Or, I I mean, say that. Absolutely. Um, it, it, I mean, you're married to someone who you said um, has been involved in international aid projects. So you know the way they work on a professional yep. level and what's expected. I'll never forget Sean who was on, in season one and he works for the UN. And he had said to me, in the UN, you have to account for every single penny that you spend. Yep. And, and these things where... The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Who knows what's going on, you know? So um, I wonder what the point of the mission trip is. You want to talk cynical? I mean, um, if you, I don't know if you wanted to talk more about the business model that you said. Is it a Ponzi scheme, the mega church? This is what I want to know. Is it a, is it a pyramid scheme? Is it a franchise model? Uh, look, I, I mean, not everyone agrees with me. I don't think anyone did this intentionally. Initially, I think there might be churches popping up now that are well, going, yeah. "Ooh, look at that! Look what yeah, we can yeah. do," and are following it. I mean, let's let's say the B word, Brian. Um, I don't think Brian started thinking to himself, "One day I'll be in 150 countries buying a multi-million dollar well, building here yeah. and and all that kind of stuff." I think he started with the right intentions, but. The adoration, the idolization, the celebrity, the adornment of, of fans, the way Hillsong doesn't have uh, just congregants, it has fans. People fanboy about it. That's why there's security so you can't get down the front to see the pastors, you know, because there's people out there that just want to be closer. And so uh, talking from my point of view, when I was running the men's camps, Two, three times a day, the boys would be going, oh, Glenn, thank you so much for doing this. This is the best. And I would say, shut up. Stop giving me praise. It's nothing to do with me. We all wanted to be here. I'm just the idiot that organized it. Now, in my head, I loved the praise. And so I'm talking just me getting praised by 10, 15, 20 guys, and it was yeah. going to my head. Now, imagine if you were Brian, and after years and years of success, and money and everyone around the world calling you their pastor and and that so i don't look at it and think these people are evil or started evil or intended to be evil i think that somewhere along the way they just started to believe what everybody in the world was telling them and that's got to mess with your head 100 percent. can you imagine 
every time you walk into a room, everything goes quiet and people say, oh, there he is. And, oh, you know, and I mean, even when I started researching, I've been thinking about this, I started researching nearly 20 years ago. There were people who wanted to sit in the same chair as Darlene or, you know, that real touch their road kind of stuff. And that was yeah. then. I mean, and it makes me wonder after, so, so if you were doing that camp situation every day, every day people were saying, Glenn, you're amazing. Thank you so much, Glenn. You've changed my life. And you kept saying, shut up, but they kept going. After a while, I just wonder, you know, at what point you go, you know what, boys, knock yourselves out. Tell me I'm great then. Um, yeah, I just liked it when you were just saying it then and, and you were just telling the story. So it, it's so hard. Yeah, 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 definitely. It is nice to be acknowledged. But, yeah, I, I literally had to sit, keep saying to God, just keep me humble. Just, yeah. you know, you take the praise. It, it, you know, I'm doing this to try and help the guys for you, you know. But that was tough. So, yeah, I, I look at the all the celebrity people at church now and I just think, you know, you just somewhere forgot to keep praying to be humble. Well, they know better. Maybe. They know. And, I mean, and the that... craziness of the fans. I mean, you know, you, they do the altar calls and they say, you know, put your hand up. Nobody's looking. Well, you know, I'm always looking. And, you know, half the time there's no hands up and the pastor's going, yes, I see you up the back there. Well, you know, there isn't anyone. But then sometimes they'll say, okay, all those people that put their hands up come down the front for prayer. Well, you'll get three, 400 people go down the front. Okay. Not because they put their hand up. Not because they aren't even Christian yet. I see people go down the front that are already given their lives to Christ. They want to be touched or be near the celebrities. Okay. And the, so, the power yeah. of the of the energy down the front as well. This yeah. altar call thing is such a like place of hypnosis or something. I really become aware of it. It's such a place of vulnerability that people go and they're just so open. People yeah. want to have Beatlemania. They want to go get hysterical over. Celebs. Yeah, and, and when you say people, I mean, they're sheep, let's be honest. But, again, I, I'm, not a, <laughs> I'm not an evil person. I don't blame the sheeple because I don't know their situations. And if you are there one night and you are at your last, you know, you're at the end of your rope, maybe you're thinking bad things about what you're going to do to yourself and you've come to church looking for something and they say come down the front for prayer i mean i would float down hey, let me touch me you know because i'm crying out for that connection and so i can't even blame the sheeple you know i don't know who they are and what they have in their hearts and what they're missing and what they need and so as much as i'm not that um maybe i was at one point i don't know but um I, I can't, I don't know, maybe I'm too nice to everyone. I don't blame everyone personally for the things that have happened because I can sort of sit back and see how the mega church became and where it went wrong. And um, if you're not aware of that, if you're not privy to information that I may or may not be to, uh, you, that did I say that? No. Um, you know, Good on people who turn up every Sunday night, go down and sing and dance and go home and feel awesome. I mean, I, I'm happy they feel awesome. You know, it's the people that aren't getting what they need that I worry about. And yeah. so I don't care if 99 people are having a great time and one person goes home and wants to kill themselves. I'm worried about the person that goes home. I don't care about the people that are being fed and getting what they need. So, 
that's fantastic. So is that is that more the focus of your kind of kill the mega church idea? Is that one those people that are falling through the cracks, those people that don't fit in with the system? Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, to me, that's that's more important than anything else. I mean, you hear that story at church all the time. Hillsong love to push the old 99 is yeah, over there and we chase the one. We care about the one. And so in the last episode on my um, YouTube channel, I tell the story of uh, I was ch at church early one day. In fact, I'd stayed from the morning services. Um, I'd had lunch with someone, had a coffee, and then I was just sitting on the grass out the front there was a few hours to go before church that night and I just hang around and a drunk guy came across and uh, sat down on the chair next to me and uh, we started talking. Uh, he was ex 180 TC. He'd been kicked out that week because he'd snuck out and gotten drunk. And uh, he woke up that morning with a really strong feeling that God wanted him to come to church. And he was so excited that he came early and when he realized he got there early and the morning services have finished and there's hours to go to the night one, he didn't want to go home again. So uh, he went to the pub. Uh, not the smartest thing to do, but anyway, he, so he stayed there all day waiting and he's looked across from the pub. There's a pub just near the church, which is handy uh, for Brian. Um, and, oh, did I say that? <laughs> Sorry. That, that is silly. He doesn't get his own drinks anyway. He sends his boys. Um, yeah. So anyway, this guy seen me there and he's come across for a chat. So he told me his whole story. God had told him to come to church, um, everything. And I, I was feeling so bad for him. And I said, look, you know, when church is on later tonight, I'll be standing out the front waiting for you. And, um, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you then. I wanted him to come for a coffee for, with me at that moment. But he said, no, I, I need to go back to the pub, have another beer. Not, not his wisest uh, choice for the day. So anyway... I was only new to um, leadership at that point. Yeah. So I wasn't 100% sure what to do. So I went and spoke to two of the pastoral care pastors who I knew. And I, I told them the story about this guy. And um, they said, oh, we're glad you told us. Uh, when you stand out the front here and when you see him, can you point him out to us? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I'm waiting and I see the guy walking across the grass and I turn around to these pastors and I said, oh, that's him down there. And they said, well, don't worry, we've got this. We'll go speak to him. So they charge off down the front there and they meet him feeling. Yeah. and they kicked him out. Oh, man. And, and when they came back and I said, what happened? And they said, oh, yeah, we've got a zero alcohol policy here. We can't have him coming in to the service. And I never thought, let's take this drunk guy into the service and put him down the front. I thought we might just take him into the church, into the foyer, into an office, into a room and talk to him because he want, he, he thought God had sent him there and, and now he's been kicked out and he's thinking, well, God wanted me to go there to be kicked out. Uh, and that's the one, the one got away. The 99 was sitting inside comfortable and feeling great oh, no. and we went outside and we kicked out the one. Uh, the, that's why the mega church has to die. Because they're all too worried about their brand. I'm getting fired up now. Oh, they're too worried about their brand, their business, their reputation, their money, and they really, really, really don't care about the one or the two. Meaning that they don't care about us. You know, uh, in this current situation, which I'm not allowed to mention, nobody reached out to Nat. Nobody, not one person, has reached out to Nat um, during this whole process. 
nobody from pastoral care um you know nobody it's nobody. like she didn't even exist so uh wow. it's definitely got and a change and you I, mean, I still got my guys that that talked to me yeah. you know i had a, cu a couple one in particular that that broke me off and said well i can't be seen talking to you being your friend or anything um but that's because he had a job at church and thought that if he was seen with me that that would um you know impact on his his ability to earn money i guess tax collectors and jesus and the, the one in the tree zacharias is that mm. i forget if he's the tax collector but um yeah because I, I tell you i i when I got a book contract at the beginning of 2005 and at Easter time I went away and I thought, right, I, you know, really let's sit down formally, have a look at the Bible, see if I've, you know, if I'm just being nasty or whatever and start with Matthew and you get up to about chapter 10 and go, there's just, this this place has got nothing to do with Christianity. The, mm. I, I don't see, you know, um, it might espouse all of those kind of catchy things but, look I'm no theologian <laughs> that message continues to strike me about humility and meek and privacy and don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing and that cannot coexist with this kind of system when you're talking about brands and business and power yeah yeah, yeah I you know they're just I don't know how they're getting it wrong. I'm not a theologian either. As I said earlier, I haven't even read the whole Bible, but I have been in church my whole life. So I guess some of it's seeped into my head, into my heart. Um, but I don't know why they've strayed away from the message of Jesus and why they would kick people out that were desperate for help. I mean, that makes me want to cry now, thinking about that guy, oh, wondering what happened to him. Is he still alive? You know, did did he just walk away and go, oh, well, stuff Christianity, I don't care, and get on with his life? Or did he, you know, who knows? I, I can't even speculate. It just makes me very angry. I hear you. I hear you. Um, um, and that's why the mega church must die. That's why. You know, I, I could just keep telling stories. I mean, to, to be honest, I hadn't been there that long, you know, six and a half years roughly at Hillsong. But no. the amount of things I personally saw, and I'm just one guy in a room full of thousands. So if I saw so much, there would have been so much more I didn't see. That's just, that's not my opinion. Like that that's the law of averages. You know, yeah, yeah, if I saw yeah. all this bad, there must have been more. I couldn't have been privy to every single bad situation that ever happened. You know, and you're not it's very just high up in leadership at this point either, are you? I mean, you're just not when that drunk guy came along. I, it was later I got to be the 2IC to the 6 p.m service pastor um but, but even even there when you're saying you yeah, saw things what kind of yeah but but yeah what kind of things are you talking about seeing because we don't want to be all like mysterious and scary but i mean no no yeah yeah i just when i got to be the um <laughs> to i see that the 6 p.m pastor it was an interesting process the 6 p.m pastor uh called me up for coffee we're sitting down having a chat and he goes look you know, I love what you're doing with the team. I was running some teams for him. And he said, look, I'd like you to be my 2IC. And I went, oh, thank you. Okay, I'll do that. He said, but listen, let's not tell anyone. <laughs> and straight away in my head, I'm thinking, yeah, I know this guy. I know what he's all about. He wants oh. to look good and I'm going to make him look good. Okay. 
And so I said, fine, that's cool with me. I don't want the attention. I, I really don't want the attention. I struggled then when he made me start sitting down the front with them. But that was just so weird. Like, yeah, shh. And so we had a joke because I did tell people. And I'd go, shh, I'm the TYC, but don't tell anyone. So it was a bit funny. But he would text me during the service. I was sitting behind him. He was front row. I was second row because, you know, I'm not quite front row material. Um, and he would text me saying, get the crew to start clapping and saying, preach it, brother, and all that stuff that you, you hear down the front. Wow. It's, it's all orchestrated because he gets messages yeah. from early on when Brian was still there, Brian and, and Brian's people, and then later on it was Sam and Sam's people texting him to text me to get everyone to go, oh, yeah, woo, during the sermon because, you know, no one was making enough noise. Oh, so, that's, that's, yeah. that's not revival then. Oh, uh, no. No, what would you call that? That's um, anyway. a reality TV, isn't it? I mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lots of crazy stuff like that. But the whole thing is everyone there is so focused on where they're going up the Hillsong ladder. They're not really being honest about where they are. Uh, and and I believe that's why I was the, the 2IC, because that guy, he had his eyes on where he wanted to go instead of where he was because I was looking after that. You know, people from the, the 6 p.m. service team would come to me, not to him, if they had an issue, because they knew, well, you know, he's looking up and Glenn's just looking here at us. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it's but that's what that place creates. That's why Carl happened. That's why Reed Bogard happened. That's why all of those naughty people in America and everywhere else happened because that's the culture that was created where everyone's wanting the celebrity and the power and, and the money. Um, it's going to corrupt everybody. It will corrupt me. You give me a couple of million dollars and I'll do whatever you want. Right. I mean, and so, so it's the couple of million dollars plus it's the travel plus it's that walking into every room and everybody, oh, mm. there's Glenn. Oh, Glenn. Oh, quick. Did you get him a drink? It's Glenn. It's Glenn. There you are, Glenn. How you going? You look amazing all day long and night, you know, and the roar of the crowds. Sign me year up. Year after year after <laughs> year. I mean, could yeah. get a little, could get a little, uh, you could probably get used to it and possibly change. Um, yeah, definitely. Except that, except that this is supposed to be a different system. So if that were oh. a corporate system. Logic. This You're would using all be, logic. Well, <laughs> it's just okay. I mean, I don't think it's any secret now that, and I mean, yell at me if you think it is, but it's it's a fairly common knowledge now that Hillsong employees were offered a uh, double the incentive uh, for redundancy packages. They were offered double the incentive, and you know, I heard from people, oh, I can't leave my job, but but. But didn't you get all those perks because you were special because you were doing this thing where you stand up for people and advocate and do it when it's hard and stuff? No. Um, and that, yeah. That. What do you mean destroyed your lives? You look all right to me. You said these, <laughs> well, these court cases have destroyed your lives. Those are big terms. Destroyed our social life. 
I mean, my life with Huge. Nat is still as good, if not better. I mean, this kind of crap brings you together even stronger. My faith in God is even stronger because, okay. you know, I've started reading that book that I've never finished, <laughs> the Bible. I'm, well, you know, you say that, but I get up to this part yeah. where they begat and begat and begat, and I used to drop off the word as well about living. Yeah, yeah. Start off with good intentions at Genesis. Right? I, I've been doing a lot of research too. I mean, you can make fun of YouTube as it not being legitimate, but there are so many good resources out there. Um, there's one guy I follow who I love him because even if he has an opinion and you write in and ask him a question and he thinks, well, no, I don't agree, he always says, well, look, why don't we look it up in the Bible and see? And he has changed his mind on things. Wow. That's and so that's what I like, cool. somebody honest and, and and willing to say, oh, okay, I just read that there in the Bible and this is what it means, and I got that wrong. And so there's been quite a few of his videos where he says, look, I got this wrong, I got that wrong. Uh, I read the Bible today and we sat down and we discussed it and I realised I made a mistake. And uh, I value anyone that has strong opinions because I like them, but I also like it when they're willing to look at the evidence and say, oh, geez, I got that one wrong. So Imagine yeah. Imagine how much we could actually all learn together if I said to you, oh, sorry, I got that wrong. Hey, oh, and you got right, let's keep going. Instead of some people needing someone to be flawless and somebody needing to be seen as perfect and stuff like it's you're you're yeah. so correct. The whole culture has to stop. Yeah. One might say the mega church has to die. I don't know. Uh I think the mega church has to die. <laughs> But you're right. It's that perfect culture. It's the prosperous culture. It's like I have had discussions with people who go to church there that feel that their situation at home, there's something wrong with their family because it's not perfect. Because they look at the perfect socials of Hillsong and the, the personas everyone puts on up the front and how everyone's smiling and happy and life's perfect and I'm rich. And then they look at their own life and they might be struggling with teenagers or young kids or, or whatever in their life. And so not only are they going through that actual struggle, but on top of that, they feel they're less than because the church makes them feel like they're not special. They're not speaking in tongues and they're not making things heal and they're not, you know, doing all that stuff that we're told up the front. And so, yeah, look, there's just endless things that you could talk about that just make such a big impact on the individual and the church is just rumbling along, catching the money and putting it in a bucket. It's I, yeah. Sorry, I was just, I mean, I was just thinking about that in turn when you were saying teenagers in terms of like if you're having problems with your kids and the one, two, three, now be free thing doesn't work you must be spiritually, you know, inadequate or, or something or is that how it mm. works? Yeah, that's that's how it makes you feel. Um, you know, I felt human. that way myself, you know. There's, there's been times where they're, they're preaching about particular things and I thought, well, I, I don't have that. And I'm like, oh, did I not get baptised properly or am I going to hell now even though – I think I'd go to heaven, but now that guy said that and it made me question because I don't have that perfect life. We're not rich. We, You know, our family's not perfect. I mean, you know, you're born into it and that's all you've ever known and you're having doubts. It must be. It's got to be a technique to keep people kind of constantly, constantly wanting 
more. Well, then you, yeah, you, that's it. It brings you back. It makes you try harder to fit in. Uh, mm. You know, it makes you want to, you have to give more. I, I saw this TD Jake's uh, video the other day where he's actually saying that he gives so much to God because then God will owe him. And I'm like, what? Did he just say that? Like, if, if you know, I could give millions of dollars to God and at the end of the day, I'm still behind. I, at no point do we get to the bit where God owes me. You know, uh, that's, getting, that's, but that's a pastor so that's so well known that is standing up there. Uh, Oprah was in his converse, uh, congregation. Oprah is one of his big fans. And he's saying that you know, it's all about giving so much money that God owes you. And I'm like, oh, no, I haven't read the book all the way through. We know that, but I certainly don't think there's a bit that says, and if you give X amount, then God owes you more back. I, but people I, believe that. I would be scared of like a Chris Guglielmucci lightning bolt. Did you? Did we discuss Chris Guglielmucci, by the way? No, 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 we haven't. Right, so do you remember Mike Guglielmucci uh, who lied about cancer? Yes, yes. So about five years ago, his brother was struck by lightning dead at a youth camp oh. in front of the kids. Yeah, and if you don't, like, Richard Dawkins would have to admit that God just went, yeah, you want to lie? I'll take your brother. So I I'd be scared of that. It's so interesting how that word of faith thing evolved from, oh, look, it says here that God loves me, and if it says it, it must be true, to here's the promise, God, you better cough up. Right? Yeah, yeah. He wants us to prosper. It's in a verse. But what's prosperity? It's a good marriage. It's a good relationship with your friends, your family. It's being comfortable and happy with your faith in your church. And, and it's nothing to do about money. You know, our situation at the moment, we could end up, you know, in a very bad financial situation. But I keep saying to Nat, I don't care as long as I still got you and the dog, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have the dog <laughs> well what if you have to choose one <laughs> well oh you're an Aussie male aren't you you're a good they're wife. both been up there in years so it's gonna be hard to pick but yeah getting me to shut up is always going to be the problem i don't so. mind it's it's very interesting and like i'm saying to you like the men don't speak so it's up to you i don't want to yeah, look, I often identified not as a male or a female, but as just a person because wow. I don't know why. I don't know why you have to be, you know, your identity is that. My identity is the kind of person I am and the character I have. So I get it. I'm not a normal guy. Um, you know, I talk about feelings. Uh, I talk about being connected with other guys, but, you know, that's just who I am. So, but these are, these are, I mean, these are such normal, necessary, healthy things, and we know yeah. that they're at the the core of human need. Um, we have, I mean, I don't want to get too extreme here, but at the same time, very seriously, we've got a huge problem with male suicide in this country, female too. But if we're losing six men a day, and a lot of it's due to relationship breakdown and lack of connection or, you know, self-image, employment yep. situation those kind of things i don't know that men like to necessarily be dragged into an office and talk about feelings to some woman who's got a psychology degree but like you're saying on camping trips or 
you know, men don't connect by sitting around drinking coffee and gossiping so much necessarily. No. Correct me if I'm wrong. They no, connect yeah. through doing, but at the core, we're still men, and we like men stuff, and we we like going right. camping and sitting there with a fishing rod and never getting a bite, but chatting with your mates. And I, I've sat in an office with a psychologist and just thought, oh my god, what are you talking right. about? You know, you don't relate to me at all. And That's so what they encourage men to do: go talk about your feelings to some professional. And I and I just don't know that it's useful for the bulk of no, no. Work. Come and talk to me. I'll take you for a beer. I'll take right. you for a coffee. We'll go fishing. Right. We'll just have a chat and we'll talk about crap and the crap that happens and how you get through that crap, you know. Sometimes I think it's even just having those conversations and that connection. I cannot emphasise the connection thing enough because it's the antidote to the isolation, the, the devastation that people, you know, are on their own. They've been rejected. They've been thrown out. Something's fallen apart. Connection is the medicine for that. So, you know, there's nothing strange about that. You've hit the nail on the head, though, with everything, not just life. But if we, you know, we're talking about church, the whole thing is about connection with God, with Jesus. It's a, like a real connection. And that seemed as nice a place as any to leave that chat just overnight. We'll be back tomorrow afternoon for part two of the one. And uh, they're such an interesting couple. I'm lovely, lovely people. Glenn and his wife natalie very very regal so thank you for spending time with us and for joining in this conversation it's been so great to have you here and if it's shaken up a few things just remember to keep being kind to yourself because you know you matter share it with other people that you think might benefit from it like subscribe it plaster it all over your walls and we'll talk tomorrow afternoon Keep being kind to the people around you and keep living Hillsong. We'll talk soon. Bye.